This morning, uh, we are starting a three-week series on some tough issues. You know, I figure uh, why not just go ahead and double down on everything that's happening in the world. Uh, We've come out of the One Kingdom Invisible series, which was really challenging, and so let's just go ahead and ask tough questions of ourselves. Now, these issues, these tough issues we're going to talk about, they all center around our relationships, how we view ourselves and how we view others. And the goal of this series is that by asking hard questions about tough issues, we will be better prepared to live out the kingdom values that we have been talking about for the last few months. We are starting uh, out this series with an issue that I think is a pretty important one for us right now, and it certainly is a tough one. It is the issue of enemies. Now, We all have difficult relationships in our lives. We all have people that we have a difficult time with. We all, you know, there's people that we don't like, and there's people that don't like us. So just to get this out of the way right at the start, there is a difference between someone that you don't get along with and someone who you would consider to be an enemy. So what is an enemy? And an enemy is defined as a person who is actively opposed or hostile to someone or something. Repeat that one time. An enemy is someone who is actively opposed or hostile to someone or something. <coughs> Excuse me. So while we may deal on a regular basis with what we can call a lack of affinity for someone, Uh, Having or being an enemy is that lack of affinity on steroids. If you have an enemy, that person is actively opposed or hostile to you. If you are someone's enemy, you are actively opposed or hostile to them. Now, back in the olden days, like, I don't know, five years ago, I would not have given much consideration to the idea of enemies. And it wouldn't be something that I would feel was so important for us to talk about. At least for me, and maybe it's different for you, it was not really a mainstream idea when it came to my life or my understanding of Christianity and its relationship with the world. Don't get me wrong, I I understood uh, lots of principles about who our enemy is as Christians and what that is about, but it still was not a concept that I considered had a lot of weight in in the greater scheme of things of how I see the world and how I interact with the world. And then basically the last five years have happened. And the last five years, in my opinion, changed things on this front. And it did it in one major way. I think the last five years have made having enemies acceptable. In this particular culture, we are encouraged to consider people that differ from us, that think differently from us, as enemies. And we see this manifest itself in a million different ways. Uh, If you disagree with someone now, you are encouraged to call them names and belittle them in some way. For example, did you know the terms libtard, snowflake, or Karen five years ago? I mean, you know a Karen. I love a Karen. But... No, we didn't have those terms, or they didn't mean what they do to us today, and yet those terms are thrown around all the time about different people. We have seen an inordinate amount of violence. 
uh, fights in the streets between members of different political parties go past verbal arguments to include violence with guns and knives. We've actually seen people get shot in the street because they differ on some issues or politics or whatever else. And we are constantly being told by messaging on both the left and the right that the people who differ from us are our enemies and that they needed to be treated as such. Now, I want you to know something really important about engaging this discussion. If you are already thinking, well, I think this way because they do this, or I think this way because they do that, then you've already, you're already behind in the discussion. You have to be able to put those things aside and as best as possible, look objectively at what's happening if you're gonna be able to engage with me in this. Because while we see these things happening out in the kingdom of the world, it hasn't been a lot better on the spiritual front. Just this week, one of the present spiritual advisors claimed that demonic confederacies are trying to steal the election from Trump. Now, you may believe that's true. I read some posts from friends this week telling, saying that these, this is the end of times and uh, we've, the mark of the beast is coming next and all of these different things. But the problem is that there are other Christians who believe just as strongly that our current president, not our president-elect, is one of the worst things that has ever happened to evangelical Christianity and to our country. Christian leaders, churches, friends, and families have all been divided over the things that have been going on, and some of it has been really ugly. And after all, how can you have an open-hearted and loving friendship or relationship with someone if you believe the person they support is under the control of demonic forces? I mean, that puts us at odds with one another. So surely you see the problem. If, if one side is under the influence of demons and the other is praising what they consider to be an evil dictator, we become enemies opposed to one another. And it's gone past just simple disagreements. It's gone past uh, being able to have differing opinions and still be in relationship with one another. Now, I, for one, don't blame one side more than the other. But this shift, this lack of decency in how we treat one another is something that all of us have bought into in one degree or another. And that is why this morning we have to tackle this question. What does the Bible say about the people of God having enemies? Because the world right now tells us that everyone who thinks differently than we do is our enemy. Okay, so that's at the table pretty thoroughly, I think. Um, so now let's get to the meat and potatoes. Is it biblical for us to have enemies? The short answer, might surprise you, is yes. The Bible is full of accounts of the people of God having enemies. Throughout the Old Testament, uh, the people of God fought against those who held different beliefs. They went to war and had to defend themselves and their God. Paul, often in his writings, 
uh, considered those who opposed him and those who preached a different gospel to be his enemies. The Bible also makes it clear that the kingdom of the world stands against the kingdom of God, that the kingdom of the world is an enemy to the kingdom of God. And that doesn't even mention in the, the fact that Satan is considered to be our enemy. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 describes him this way. Be alert and sober of mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So, is it biblical to have enemies? Yes, it is biblical to have enemies. We live in a world that is opposed to the kingdom of God of which we are citizens. In fact, we should probably expect to have enemies as citizens of the kingdom of God because the kingdom of the world is hostile to us. And there may be very little we can do to stop someone from being our enemy. Now, I want you to pause and think about that for a second. I know in my life there are people that really, really don't like me and who have opposed me at different times in my life. So it's easy for me to look at some of these things, and as much as I don't want to, to recognize that even personally in my own life, I probably have some people that might be enemies. So yes, biblically speaking, we have enemies. Does God have enemies? Question number two. Yes, God has enemies. Satan is his enemy. Satan wants to tear down and destroy all that God has built and all that God hopes to build. There are powers and forces that actively work against God in this world, and all of those powers and forces are enemies of God. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 11 through 12, puts it in this language for us. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We're going to talk about this in much more detail in a couple of weeks, but these verses illustrate the kinds of things that are out there. And these things, these powers, these authorities, they actively oppose God. They are trying to undermine and take away God's vision for his kingdom and what he wants for his people here on earth. They are the enemies of God. But, and this is a big but, my friends, people are not the enemies of God. God. Hear me out here. From God's perspective, we are not his enemies, but the battleground on which the fight for our souls and his kingdom is actively taking place. Now, we might make ourselves God's enemy by standing opposed to him, but God does not make us or view us as his enemy, no matter who we are. This is crucial. Because look, no, no matter how, who you are or what your relationship with God is right now, we were all at one time enemies of God, but God changed that. From Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 10. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, God died for the ungodly. 
Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Okay, this is a rich passage. But it makes some things very clear. And that is, while we were ungodly, in opposition to God, God sent his son Jesus here to die for us. We were God's enemies in that we were in opposition to the life he wanted us to live. Our sin is rebellion against who he is and what he is about. And while we were in this state, while we were his enemies in opposition to him, that is when God sent Jesus to die for us. So we were God's enemies, but God did not treat us like enemies. He did not treat us like we deserved to be treated. While we stood opposed to him, he did not stand opposed to us. And instead of treating us like enemies, he treated us like friends, as beloved children. And he overcame the opposition that kept us from him, and he drew us to himself. Which tells us something really important. Just because you have an enemy, it does not mean that you get to treat them like an enemy. And people are not God's enemies, and he does not view them as such. From 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. This verse tells us that when God looks at the earth, he does not see his allies and his enemies. He sees those who are redeemed and those who are not yet redeemed. And the one thing he wants more than anything else are is for those who are away from him to come to him. He does not see them as enemies, even if they stand opposed to him. So here is where it gets a little bit sticky for us. Next question. When we perceive someone as being an enemy of God, are we tempted to make that person our enemy? The answer, of course, is yes. We want to fight God's enemies in defense of God and ultimately in defense of ourselves. But when this happens, we most often do not follow God's lead by treating enemies as friends. We treat enemies as enemies. And we can often 
do more harm than good by trying to defend God as opposed to treating those who stand against God in the way that God would treat them. The core truth, the core truth about how God treated us, that while we were still enemies, he treated us like friends, dictates that we don't get to treat people like enemies even if they stand in opposition to our God. Jesus changed all of that. So here is where the rubber meets the road, my dear friends. Next question. Is it biblical for me to be an enemy? Now again, we cannot control if someone makes his or herself an enemy to us. We cannot control if they stand opposed to us or to the kingdom. But we can absolutely control how we respond to those who make themselves our enemies. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 14 through 15 puts it this way. Take special note of anyone who does not obey our instructions in this letter. Do not associate with them in order that they may feel ashamed. Yet, do not regard them as an enemy, but warn them as you would a fellow believer. Now, take note of this scenario. Paul had sent this instructional letter to the church in Thessalonica. He wanted his instructions to be followed. The things that he said were important, but he knew that there would be some who would not follow the instructions. So what does the church do with those who reject and find themselves in opposition to what it is that Paul is teaching? Here is what they are to do. They are not to associate with these people because they are rejecting the teaching. But this is for a specific reason. By not associating with them, these people may feel ashamed and then they may change their ways. In other words, there is nothing vindictive about this disassociation. But this is important. You are not, even in the disassociation, to treat them as enemies. You are not to be cruel, mean, or even stand opposed to them. You are to create distance in the hope of repentance. And you speak to them as you would to any other believer. Which means that just because someone has set themselves in opposition, it does not mean that we get to treat them as enemies. And ultimately, we have a choice as to whether we become someone's enemy or not. So, how am I to behave towards someone that might want to be an enemy or that we find ourselves in opposition against? Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 48 lays it out for us. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? 
Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect there for as your heavenly father is perfect. Get what Jesus is describing here. At the base of this passage, Jesus is trying to illustrate that the people of God are going to act differently than the people of any other kingdom. And so here's the scenario. You have an enemy. There is someone that you know is opposed to you in some way. Now, the ethic of this world says that you love your neighbor and you hate your enemy. This means that if someone becomes your enemy, you are free to be an enemy in return. But that is not the ethic of the kingdom of God. Number one, anyone can love those who love them. There is no challenge in that. In the kingdom, however, we love our enemies. We love those who do not love us. We love those who stand in opposition to us. And I don't know if you caught it or not, but that is what shows we are children of our Father in heaven. And even when we are being persecuted directly, actively harmed in some way, we do not pray or act on our behalf. We Pray for those who are persecuting us. Understand what Jesus is saying. Someone may make his or herself your enemy. You may have enemies, but you will not be an enemy in return because that is not how people in the kingdom of God act. They make their enemies their friends. They love them, they pray for them, and they treat them better than anyone else would. Your overall approach to people as a follower of Jesus does not leave room for you to set yourself against someone regardless of who they are or what they do. Romans chapter 12 verses 9 through 21 puts it this way, love must be sincere, hate what is evil, Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to revenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, he will heap burning coals on his head. Do not, become, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, there's a lot in this passage but it needs to be understood in light of how that particular chapter opens. 
Romans 12, 1 through 2 says this, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. All of this builds on what we read in chapter 5 of Romans. Because of the mercy that God has for us, we are to seek out a different ethic than those who do not know the mercy of God. We do not conform to the pattern of this world, which says, hate your enemies and treat them like enemies. But instead, we are transformed in the way that we think so that we don't even see them in the same way that we would if we were members of the kingdom of the world. So if the world treats enemies as enemies, we will do the complete opposite because the mercy of God has transformed us. It is grace that structures who we are as people, as a community, and how we interact with the world. Now let's look at the specific instructions. Love must be sincere, be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourselves. Now this speaks to the state of our hearts. As followers of Jesus who are moved by mercy and grace, we are to be filled with a sincere love that draws us together. And there is a note of humility here. You do not think of yourself above others. This means that you don't seek out your own interests first, but instead you look to the interest of others, even if it means that you have to give up something. These attitudes are crucial to us being able to do the kinds of things that Paul is telling us to do. It starts with this wellspring of love and mercy. Because look at what's next. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. This echoes the desires of God in the covenant that he made with Abraham, that Abraham would be a blessing to the world. But this takes it to an uncomfortable place where, again, we are not just looking to bless someone who blesses us, but we are to bless those who are persecuting us while also making sure we are not cursing them. It is blessing from us all the way. Do not repay evil with evil. Do not take revenge. Live in peace. This speaks to our desire for justice. When we are wronged, we want justice for that wrong. We desire to get even or, or receive what we think what we deserve here in this place. We want our enemies to fall in this place. We want to see it happen. But we are not to seek out or what we want or think we deserve even when we have been wronged. We do not repay. We do not take. Instead, we live in peace. Feed your enemy and give him something to drink. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the active peace, you see, of what you seek out in these kinds of situations. You look to feed, to, to give drink, to meet needs. And don't for a second be fooled by that burning coals comment. Because it doesn't mean what it sounds like, as if Paul is telling us to live in some sort of loving vindictiveness. When he speaks of caring for an enemy's needs, which heaps coals of fire on that enemy's head, 
which is quoting a Proverbs chapter 25, verse 22. He's not giving advice on a better way to get back at one's enemies. Rather, such treatment is intended to get the enemy to turn from enemy to friendship. Gracious deeds burn away the hate within. Such treatments of opponents has its goal as reconciliation and peace, not another's defeat and suffering. This is the way you see that God dealt with us while we were enemies. He made us friends. That is the way God deals through us with those who continue to oppose him. Now, I want to be clear about something. All that we're talking about does not preclude speaking up for the truth of God. You can and should speak up for the truth of God in all different scenarios and situations. You should be doing so in a bold and courageous way. But what is the truth of God? And the way that you say it matters. If grace is the structure that dictates all of our interactions with the world. So where does this leave us? Christians have enemies, but Christians are not to be enemies to others. People can try to be our enemies. They can do everything they want to to oppose us, but we will not treat them as they treat us. We will treat them as friends. This is the ethic of the kingdom, and it's challenging to say the least, but it is so important because without this, we become more like the kingdoms of the world and less like our God. So who are we going to emulate? Who are we going to model ourselves after? Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 through 15 says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law, is fulfilled in keeping the one commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So this is our final word this morning. The world has normalized treating enemies like enemies, and it has expanded the understanding of who our enemies actually are. We cannot think the way the world wants us to think. That is not. By, by thinking the way the world wants us to think and by acting the way the world acts, that is not the way that we will change this world for Jesus because we are showing a vindictive and revenge-seeking Savior. It doesn't even support growth within our own church communities. We cannot allow the church to be the enemy of the people that come into contact with it. The church must be a friend, acting in love and grace at all times. Even when the church is being persecuted and pushed away, even when we disagree so wholeheartedly, we are still friends to this world because we want this world to know the mercy that we have experienced through Jesus Christ. And so we boldly speak the truth, the truth that there is a God, 
that he loves you, that while you were his enemy, he sent his son to die for you, to set you free from the power of sin and death so that you might live in joy and peace and hope with him and so that you never, ever have to be anyone's enemy again. May God give us the strength, the force of will, the desire, the movement of our hearts to stop making ourselves enemies of others. But instead, through the grace and mercy that we have received through Jesus Christ, may we make a dent in what this world says is okay. And may we love people in a reckless, nonsensical sort of way. For that's how God treated us. While we were his enemies, he made us friends. We will not be enemies to others. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for these words that you speak through your scripture, which are so challenging and which call us to difficult things. God, will you soften our hearts? Because I know even now we're, 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 we're being stretched by this, and I just don't know if I can pray this, and I just don't know if I want this, God. So maybe... Help us here, God, to start by wanting what it is that you want, by desiring what it is that you desire. God, will you change our hearts as we live in the great mercy and love that you have for us? May we be people who are not enemies to others, but who make those who would be our enemies our friends, that we would treat them better, that the goodness that we offer to them would burn off the hate and the anger that they might know how much you love them through the way that we love them. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.